Good morning. You are watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham with me, Kevin O'Sullivan, on talk, on TV, on radio, online and on your smart speaker. Coming up, at least 500 die after bombs hit a hospital in Gaza as both Israel and terrorist groups blame one another for the disaster. President Biden and Benjamin Netanyahu hold a press conference in Israel with the Prime Minister describing Hamas as pure evil. And it's deja vu as Wagatha Christie is back. Colleen Rooney tells her side of the story in the celebrity trial that gripped the nation. Now, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and opposition leader Sakir Starmer will face off at Prime Minister's questions at around midday today. Their first one since conference uh, season. Uh, we'll bring you that live. Uh, and with two by-elections tomorrow and the possibility of another one following the suspension of Tory MP Peter Bone, it is fair to say the PM has a rather large intray. Joining me now to talk all things politics is the Independence Chief political commentator John Rental. Uh, thanks for being with us, sir, John. But before we get to all of that, there are rumours uh, that the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, could also be heading to Israel imminently. Uh, is that what yeah. you're hearing? Uh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm hearing the same thing that you are. I mean, this is from Israeli sources suggesting that he's expected to, to visit. Um, I mean, the, the, the German Chancellor's been there. Uh, Joe Biden's there now. Um, yes, you'd expect Rishi Sunak to want to be there as well, to express his solidarity in physical form. Uh, we've just seen that press conference. We'll get to the domestic affairs in uh, just a little while, but um, we've just seen that uh, press conference. Uh, Biden, uh, he did have a one or two cogent moments. Uh, he said uh, quite accurately, I think, uh, we have to bear in mind that Hamas does not represent the Palestinian people. And this is what I think is really significant. He said, I'm deeply saddened and outraged by the explosion. Uh, from what I've seen, it appears it was done by the other team, not you. Uh, he's talking to Netanyahu there, yeah. of course. So what he means is that he holds the view that uh, one of the terrorist groups in Gaza was responsible for this rocket, either uh, accidentally going off and hitting the hospital or deliberately hitting the hospital. Uh, this group, uh, uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, make Hamas look like moderates. Uh, so I wouldn't put it past them. Uh, but to Joe Biden's got a hell of an uphill battle to, or a, a, a mountain to climb to bring about some kind of peace and harmony today, yeah. hasn't he? No, ab absolutely, absolutely. I mean, was he was he reading that uh, that judgment off a cue card? Yeah, he had cue cards. It's kind of worrying. Because you interviewed him, didn't you, back in uh, 1990? I interviewed Joe uh, Biden a long time ago in at the time of the uh, the, the problems in Bosnia yeah. when uh, the, the Americans were havering over whether to intervene in Bosnia. He was putting pressure as chair of the Senate Foreign Affairs Committee on Bill Clinton, who really didn't want to get involved. Yeah. He was putting pressure on him to, to, to get involved. I mean, Joe Biden has always been on the right side of these international disputes. He supported the UK in the, in the Falklands when a lot of people in the, in the States were, were squiffy. Um, and he's always taken a very hard line on, uh, uh, against military aggression in, in, in the Balkans uh, and elsewhere. 
And I would say that uh, pointing the finger at the other team, as he calls it, the uh, terrorist groups and not yeah. Israel, uh, that will, as I keep saying, stir up a bit of a hornet's nest. I don't think Iran will react well to that. Well, that's the problem. I mean, people will believe, you know, what they what what they want to believe about that. I mean, I, th- I think it's incredibly unlikely that uh, that Israel would have. Uh, would have done anything like that uh, deliberately. So it, it was, I, I mean, I think it's probably that. an accident, whichever, whichever side uh, uh, did it, in which case it's it's terribly tragic. But as you say, it's going to stir things up. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past uh, Islamic Jihad uh, doing it deliberately, uh, but uh, we don't know the facts here. We'll wait for that to emerge. Uh, well, let's uh, return uh, to domestic affairs. It's PMQs today, Prime Minister's Questions. Time around about uh, midday. I mean, obviously, uh, events the same in the Middle things East will, will come dominate, up. won't yeah, they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it'll be very much a rerun of what we saw on Monday when uh, when Rishi Sunak gave a statement to the to the House, and Keir Starmer uh, was absolutely determined to present a united front, um, saying the whole House is united in. Uh, in in support of Israel and its right to uh, defend itself. And uh, I thought, uh, unusually, uncharacteristically, uh, that was a very dignified moment in the House of Commons. Both leaders uh, parading a a united front uh, and speaking uh, impressively, I thought. Yeah, no, I mean, Keir Starmer is absolutely determined not to allow any hint of, uh, of, of the Corbyn era to... To, to seep into into his his language or the front bench's language, but inevitably there were those those voices from the from the Labour backbenches, Richard Bergen, for example. Um, but they were they were very much in a minority. And actually, when Richard Bergen uh, made his sort of his, his statement, ridiculous speech, ac- accusing uh, Israel of, uh, of of war crimes, there were sort of murmurs of dissent around him on on, on the Labour benches. I saw that. You know, I mean, now is not the time. For that kind of uh, that kind of debate, I mean, they're talking about sort of collective punishment. So if you uh, cut off the water and the gas and the food supplies to a country, uh, that is collective punishment, punishment, punishing the citizens and not the government of that. Yeah, no, country. of course, and, and therefore uh, that's actually technically a war crime. Uh, but now is not the time to talk about potential Israeli war crimes because what we saw 10 days ago when Hamas invaded Israel was a definite 100% war crime. Absolutely. So why isn't Bergen talking about uh, that? Absolutely. I mean, anybody um, you know, speaking about this has to preface this by what's, what happened uh, the weekend before last. I mean, because that was an absolutely horrific uh, terrorist uh, Event and uh, you know you can we could we obviously the Palestinian people have suffered terribly but to 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 major on that to start on that implies that somehow what happened uh, you know last weekend the sort of gunning down of teenagers at a music festival was somehow Israel's fault and I think that is disgraceful. I watched uh, for my sins. I wish I didn't. Uh, you know, it crops up on X. Twitter, as everyone still calls it. Well, I still call it Twitter. Everyone still calls it Twitter. If I see that phrase one more time in a newspaper, X, formerly known as Twitter, it's the sub's nightmare. It (laughs) makes a short sentence unnecessarily long. Uh, uh, But... um, Stupid name for a social media app. It's It's it's, not going to catch on. It certainly (laughs) is not. But uh, I watched this video, 16 minutes it was, and it was... Hammer soldiers going into this kibbutz, which is like a lovely place, lovely, lovely houses and everything. 
just indiscriminately, just opening doors and firing machine guns in. Uh, brave guys, brave guys, little kids and women, they're shooting dead with machine guns. They're pathetic cowards, uh, if nothing else. Yeah. Uh, you know, fight someone your own size. Uh, uh, but that notwithstanding, uh, Bergen, uh, that speech he made, which as you quite rightly say, John, uh, was rather derided by people around him, quite rightly so. But he is representative of a still small voice in the Labour Party, or maybe yeah. not that small. Uh, there are murmurings of uh, revolt against Keir Starmer because of his strong pro-Israeli stance, not a traditional stance by the Labour Party. Well, that so is, he's, well, you've you got to define traditional. I mean, you know, new Labour... Corbyn. New Labour, <laughs> Corbyn. New Labour were in charge yeah, for 13 you're right, years. Fair point. Uh, fair or point. 17 years, if fair you, take, point. you go back to 1994. So, actually, I think I think we should we should regard Labour as the natural party of government and and the natural party of NATO well, and, yeah. <laughs> and national security, uh, and and regard the, the the Corbyn years as the aberration. Uh, I, I agree with that, uh, but uh, there are still the Corbynists within the Labour ranks. Yes, but uh, they are a minority, and, and Keir Starmer. How much very... of a problem? My question to you is: How much of a problem is that to Starmer? Well, I think it's a problem, uh, and I think it will it will go on being a problem, and might increasingly be a problem uh, as the situation in the Middle East uh, goes from bad to worse, uh, which which seems all too all too likely, unfortunately. Um, but I think Keir Starmer is very clearly in control of his party, uh, and you know councillors can resign. You know the great uh, the, the the great Corbynite self purge can continue. Um, and and leave Keir Starmer in charge of uh, in charge of policy. Uh, did you see Corbyn at the weekend uh, attending the pro-Palestine rally in the middle of London? Uh, you know, it's like there he was with this thing. He, he, this is this is his natural environment. Going, yeah, the boo, bad Israel, horrible Israel, Palestine. I mean, again, you know. But at least, we, unlike Richard, unlike Bergen, he is careful to condemn. Uh, what Hamas, uh, what Hamas did. Yeah, having previously um, called them his friends. Well, yes. and Hezbollah. His I, I know, I know. He, said, he later said, "Not fooling, it's not fooling anybody." But at least he he observes the. Uh, he's 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 quite careful in his language. He has learnt actually having you know having uh, come under attack for so long, he's learnt to 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 be a bit more careful in his yeah. language. Um, not to dwell too much on this, but uh, although I accept, I, I agree with what you're saying. You know, the, the Corbynists are still there. They're less of a problem for Starmer. Uh, than they used to be, uh, and he's taking a very firm stance, an impressive stance, I regret to say, I <laughs> reluctantly say. Uh, uh, but uh, well done, Keir, on this one. Uh, but uh, whilst I think he can control the dissenters in his own party, the problem might be that the Tories can really capitalise on this. Uh, well, except, the, I mean, there are one or two um, pro-Palestinian voices on the, on the Tory benches as well. I mean, it's not... That's true. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously more of a problem for, for Labour. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm, I don't think it's going to be a decisive issue uh, by the time of the election, to be honest. I think, uh, I think uh, the British public is quite divided on this. And, uh, you know, normally um, most people um, have sympathy for both sides, yep. possibly leaning towards the Palestinian side. Uh, but since, uh, since the events of the weekend before last, um, there's been a lot of sympathy for, for the Israeli position. My stance is, uh, you know, I stand with Israel. Uh, they were the victim of uh, dreadful atrocities, uh, grotesque atrocities. However, uh, as Joe Biden uh, correctly said, Hamas does not represent 
the most of the Palestinian people. They live under a kind of medieval religious tyranny. They're terrified to say anything. Yeah. Uh, and I do fear for them. I mean, the civilian collateral damage uh, will undoubtedly be horrific. It already is. Uh, and that's the important differential to stress. You know, Hamas deserve to be destroyed. The people of Palestine, uh, most of whom are just ordinary people trying to get by, do not deserve that. No, absolutely. But the, the question is, how do you resolve that? And, you know, at every point in this you know, awful long story, it seems to me that the Palestinian people and the Palestinian leadership have taken the wrong the, the, the wrong choice. I mean, you know, they, Hamas got elected in, in 2005. That was a terrible error. Um, and, of course, Hamas made sure that, uh, that, 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 that it couldn't be repeated because they abolished elections Indeed. since then. Uh, so, yes, I mean, Hamas clearly do, do not represent the, no, the, the Palestinian and they, people. And they wanted but, this. They wanted this turmoil. They wanted this slaughter yeah. to make Israel look bad. Let's uh, move back to a story that would be all over the front pages if it wasn't for the turmoil in the Middle East, and that is uh, veteran Tory MP Peter Bone, a scion of the right, a famous Brexiteer, hates Remainers, you know, big voice on the television for many years. Every yeah. time you wanted to get the Brexit case, up would crop Peter Bone. And quite impressive he was at it too. Yeah. But my God, he's suddenly been suspended uh, from the Tory party uh, and could fa uh, and uh, there could be a, a by-election now, another nightmare for Sunak. Absolutely. He represents another by-election. Because that, he's been found... In addition to the two we've got yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, they're going on tomorrow. But because he's been found guilty uh, by the parliamentary... Uh, watchdog of six offences. Five are bullying in the office, mistreating yeah. his staff, and the other one uh, is an alleged sexual incident where he exposed himself to a member of staff. Uh, he vehemently denies all of these charges, but they have been found against him. Uh, yes, because he he appealed to a to to, to a panel which which confirmed the original verdict. Yeah. So, so, uh, so it looks so rather difficult for story. him. I mean, did, did the, you guys in Westminster have any inkling? No, ab of absolutely Bone? no. No, I mean, the, the the worst thing I could have said about Peter Bone, I mean, apart from his his, his political views, was that he's a supporter of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers mm. in American football, um, which is uh, which is a terrible crime in my in, <laughs> in my book. But uh, this this is this is rather worse, and it's going to it's going to add to the headaches. I mean. It, what it what it really does is it adds to the to the sense that we had in 1996 before the 97 election that the John Major government was sort of just fraying at the edges. Yeah, the, the Tory MPs were being were being found guilty of all sorts of sins of of, of financial corruption and sexual uh, sexual um, misdemeanors, yeah. uh, and it just sort of felt like a decaying, uh, dying government. Um, and and this sort of adds to that sense this time. Yes, indeed. Now, uh, leading on from this, there are 56 MPs, uh, presumably all of them male, are currently under investigation for alleged sexual impropriety. Uh, 56. So, this is extraordinary. Uh, how many MPs are there? Six, 30, uh, 650. 650. So you take... So that's a bet. So almost, almost, almost 10%. Almost 10%. Almost 10 percent. I so mean, it's, if it's, you take away the women, 10... Well, yeah, no, absolutely. So if you take away the women, how many... It's, it's more, than, more than 10%. Yeah, so, so it's more than 
10%, significantly more than 10% of male MPs are under investigation for sexual impropriety. What goes on? What, what's going on? That is seriously disproportionate well, to the rest it, well, of the it, population. Well, they're under investigation. I mean, they're not all going to be... Yeah, but that is still found, a found, lot. Found guilty. Yeah, you, you take <laughs> my point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in, in a way, it's a good thing because it suggests that these kind of things are taken seriously now oh, and they are investigated. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, in the old days, it would all have been just dismissed as... Uh, as, as just stuff that, that, that you'd expect to happen in Westminster. Um, so at least things have moved on in, in, in that sense. But it's, uh, it, is, it is a terrible, terrible situation. Yeah, the house um, situation. Sees, Pestminster and all that. Yeah. And a lot of people say, oh, it's because you can drink round the clock in all these different bars in oh, Parliament. I think I, I, it's ridiculous excuse, because it? they're grown-ups. Yeah. If you close those bars, they'll find someone somewhere it's else. It's politics and power. It's power. It's a misuse of power it's, because these MPs... Uh, they are the superstars in ugly Hollywood, Westminster. Absolutely, and, and, and so they, they misuse. This and and a bit of a bit of power goes to their heads, and they think they can, you know, they they rule the universe, and they're entitled to um, whatever they want. And um, that that unfortunately, I mean, maybe that's intrinsic to politics, but uh, at least you know, action is being taken. It is being rooted out. Uh, to go back to PMQs uh, today, uh, do you expect uh, there to be? Anything on the agenda except the Middle East, or will we come back to a few sort of conference jibes between the two of them? I think it's going to be very difficult for either uh, the, the Prime Minister or the Leader of the Opposition to, to, to make any jokes. I mean, I think, I think today is not a joke. for jokes. I mean, do you there think they might? Yeah, but there won't be any sort of, yeah. there shouldn't be any sort of personal political yeah. uh, attacks either. I mean, I think, I mean, there might be some, some, some references. Uh, you know, further down the running order with 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 other MPs, but I think I think Keir Starmer and and Rishi Sunak are going to keep it keep it very serious. Today. Well, good for them, and then of course it will be followed by lots of backbench MPs uh, telling us how appalled and horrified they are by events uh, in the Middle East, uh, which will make no difference to anything. But uh, yeah. it'll be fascinating to see. Well, it'll be fascinating to see whether people preface uh, their comments by condemning Hamas or whether they don't. Yeah, that's so true. The, so there that's will be. There'll be, there'll be quite a lot of uh, in interesting nuances to be teased out. Yeah, that Richard Bergen, uh, no one can not read a room like him. <laughs> uh, John Rentoul, Chief Political uh, Commentator for The Independent, thanks so much for coming. My Always a pleasure. Welcome back. You are watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk TV. Israel's war on terrorist group Hamas enters its 11th day. A lot of words are flying around about war and the ugly reality of it, with all sides blaming each other. Phrases like war crimes are being thrown around by activist groups. But what exactly constitutes a war crime? Uh, here to help us understand it in more detail is Eugene Kontrovich, uh, a law professor at George Mason University. Thanks for being here. Uh, uh, so, uh, first of all, uh, let's uh, cut straight to the chase. When Hamas invaded Israel 10 days ago and uh, committed those quite clear, grotesque atrocities, they were war crimes, weren't they? To behead babies, execute civilians on their doorstep, cut down 260 kids at a pop concert in a hail of bullets. Those are war crimes. Yeah, they're not just war crimes, uh, which are, because it, this is beyond what anyone contemplates happening in war. They also constitute the crime of genocide and crimes against humanity, quite clearly. What Hamas is continuing to do by keeping the captives, by not allowing access to them, 
uh, by you know using videos of them as uh, psychological propaganda also constitute clear war crimes. Mm. Yes, indeed. Uh, in terms of Israel, uh, I mean, uh, yes, clearly uh, what happened 10 days ago, what Hamas did uh, crossed the line in the most egregious way in many ways. Uh, as you say, it's not just war crimes. These are ge That's genocide. That's massacre of the innocents. A dreadful, dreadful saga. Uh, now, Israel, unsurprisingly, uh, has, uh, Eugene, has responded extremely strongly so far with a bombing barrage. Uh, but in terms of blocking off that country, uh, which is what they've done, they've uh, cut off the water, they've cut off the electricity, they've cut off food supplies. Now, that's being classified as collective punishment, where, whereby the population of a country, if you like, is punished uh, for the sins of its government. And that, I gather, uh, is a war crime. Uh, would it be possible that Israel could have committed a war crime here? Or is that a just, or what is what they've done a justified response? Uh, no, as a matter of fact, <clears throat> what Israel has done is declare a state of siege, which is when you say we are not going to provide access to material to our enemy. And that is entirely legal under the laws of war. Both the US uh, Defense Department and the UK law of war manuals make clear that siege is a legitimate, common, uh, and humane <clears throat> tactic in the law of war. But I want to just make a factual correction. Israel has not cut off Gaza's water supply. Gaza has its own water supply. They have desalinization plants. They have an aquifer. However, Israel was also giving some additional water to uh, Gaza, um, which they never paid for. Israel simply cut off the 10% that it was supplying to Gaza. It cut the electricity that it itself was supplying to Gaza. Never in the history of warfare has there been a precedent that a country is supposed to actually keep the power on for its enemy. Now, unfortunately in war, civilians uh, often suffer. It's, it's hard to find a war uh, uh, when it's fought in a country's territory that does not involve civilian punishment, uh, civilian suffering. That is not collective punishment, right? That would mean that when uh, Britain fought uh, World War II or the Iraq War or the campaign against ISIS, that was collective punishment because civilians suffer. It's kind of like saying that it's collective punishment if you put someone in jail for a crime because now their children don't have a, a breadwinner. Uh, war has side effects and they're very tragic. But what determines whether it's collective punishment is whether the uh, actions are aimed at the civilian population, and they are not. Israel only strikes military targets. It is seeking only to deny supplies to Hamas. But we know, of course, Hamas will also take supplies from civilians. We just saw the other day the uh, United Nations Relief Works Agency tweeted that Hamas had stole uh, a huge amount of fuel from them before they deleted the tweet and said it was a mistake. Uh, so there is no collective punishment here and there's no war crime. Uh, and in fa fa fairness to Mr. Netanyahu, uh, he has been persuaded by the Americans uh, to uh, supply the Israeli water to Gaza again anyway. So that's a sort of slight thawing uh, in relations there. Uh, so what you're saying, Eugene, is uh, when, and this is what Israel is being accused of, when people are accusing Israel of war crimes right now for this blockade, that's not legally correct. 
not legally justified. That, yes, it's not just me saying so. Several uh, professors at West Point, the American Military Academy, have written that this is a legitimate tactic. This is something the United States would do. Uh, and indeed, uh, cutting off supplies is uh, considered sometimes actually a, a more humane uh, tactic than launching uh, immediately a ground invasion, which is also costly in civilian lives. As a matter of fact, there's actually no way to fight a war in an urban context without, unfortunately, incidental civilian casualties. Hamas knows that, and what they do is illegally locate their positions amongst civilians, trying to maximize civilian casualties exactly to uh, turn international sympathy against Israel. It's illegal that they do it, but also under the laws of war, under uh, the International Committee of the Red Cross clearly makes clear that locating military targets amongst civilians does not immunize those military targets from being attacked. In other words, you're not rewarded for using human shields. That would only encourage the use of human shields. Indeed. Now, uh, last night, of course, uh, the ante was up to uh, tragically and seriously uh, with that uh, bomb strike on uh, the Gaza hospital, uh, where 500 people died, including many children. 6,000 Gazans uh, were sheltering there just to keep away from danger because they thought if they're in a hospital, they're safe. But uh, they were not, as we now know. Now, uh, there are lots of stories about what could have happened here. Uh, it could have been a terrorist bomb uh, missile uh, that misfired. It could have been a terrorist missile that was deliberately fired at that hospital in order to destroy any uh, hope of peace, which is what Hamas want. They don't want peace, and nor do the even worse terrorist organization, Islamic Jihad. They're the ones who, uh, we're told, uh, press the button on this uh, uh, missile. Uh, but then again, there's the other theory that it was indeed uh, the Israelis as part of their bombing campaign, their blitzing of Gaza. Whoever is responsible for this, again, I suppose this is pretty obvious, Eugene, but that's a war crime, isn't it? Bombing a hospital with children and women in there? I want to disagree with several of your premises. First of all, I don't think this is an issue that is open to speculation. It's not a who knows who did it now. Uh, Israel has released footage from multiple angles of a missile launched from Gaza falling upon this hospital. And we know that you know a third or more of Hamas missiles fall short and hit their own civilian population. President Biden, just in the past hour in Israel, said he reviewed the evidence and he understands that this was Hamas uh, killing their own civilians, making Hamas guilty of perhaps the largest massacre of Palestinians uh, in history. So this was not uh, maybe this, maybe that. The, uh, Israel released recording, actually, of the Hamas operatives uh, or the Islamic Jihad operatives who were shooting these missiles, saying, oh, wow, we missed, we hit the hospital. Um, it's quite clear they hit their own hospital. Uh, and it may also be further the case that there were so many, ex the explosion was so big because of weapons stored in uh, stored in the hospital. So um, what, on the other hand, is it a war crime? So accidentally hitting a hospital is not a war crime. Uh, mistakes happen in war, and it's just a, a tragedy. What would be a war crime is if Hamas was using that hospital to store uh, explosive materials and weaponry, which may have contributed to the scale of the explosion. That would be a war crime, a failure to differentiate, distinguish between military targets and civilian targets. And we know that Hamas's headquarters 
is in the basement of, a, of another uh, hospital. And I just want to say one other thing. You said 500 people were killed. Uh, we, I don't think we have any idea how many people were killed. Uh, you know, within minutes after the hospital being hit, Hamas announced that Israel blew up a hospital, which is not true, and the 500 people were killed. So we have no reason to believe the second part either. Uh, you know, it takes time to count 500 bodies. And um, I think we actually have no reliable information on how many people, if any, were killed in that tragic attack uh, by the Palestinians on their own hospital. Yeah, agreed. Don't get me wrong. I'm just uh, quoting to you all the various reports uh, that, the paper, that the papers are full of here. Uh, and uh, my uh, fear is, uh, you know, as I've been saying all morning, you know, you think about Hamas. There are terrorist groups in Gaza that make Hamas look like moderates. And one of them is uh, the Palestinian Islamic Jihad group. And I would not put it past them uh, to deliberately fire on their own people in order to uh, destabilize any efforts of peace. And bearing in mind that Joe Biden was on his way at the time and is now there. So it has left Joe Biden with this tragedy at the hospital has left Joe Biden with a mountain to climb. And that would feed into exactly what uh, Islamic Jihad and indeed Hamas wanted. Exactly. For Hamas, it's win-win. If they kill Israeli civilians, that's good for them. And if they fail and they just kill their own civilians, that's also good. Uh, so that is the horrible thing about the tactics that they're using. And in fact, much, uh, many uh, media outlets, the New York Times, many politicians, progressive politicians, immediately announced on social media, Israel is guilty of this horrible massacre. And even though it, that has now been refuted, uh, you know that information is out there, uh, and that continues to poison people's minds uh, against Israel. Hopefully, this will be a lesson to people not to believe the first thing they hear, especially from the Hamas Health Ministry, which is just another branch of Hamas. U.S. President Joe Biden landed in Israel earlier this morning amid Israel's ongoing war against Hamas terrorists. He was greeted at the airport by Israelis, uh, Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and President Isaac Herzog. And here is what the U.S. president had to say. I was deeply saddened and outraged by the uh, explosion at the hospital in Gaza yesterday. And based on what I've seen, it appears as though it was done by the other team, not, not you. But there's a lot of people out there not sure. So we've got, a lot, we've got to overcome a lot of things. And it also means encouraging life-saving uh, capacity to help the Palestinians who are innocent caught in the middle of this. I'm delighted to be joined now by Boaz Bismuth, uh, a member of the Israeli parliament, uh, the Knesset. Uh, for the governing party Likud, and he's also a former editor of Israel's largest newspaper. Welcome, fellow journalists. Uh, but what a story you have going on right now, a horrible story, uh, which was ignited last night by arguably the worst event so far, a bomb landing on a Gazan. Uh, hospital. Uh, we're told 500 are dead, but uh, it may be many more. Uh, the point is, uh, the uh, blame game is now going on, Boaz. Uh, who fired that rocket? Who dropped that bomb? Was it a rocket? Was it a bomb? Uh, Israel say, definitely not us. Uh, Hamas, 
say it was the Israelis. Uh, Israel say uh, that actually it looks as if it was a missile that uh, misfired and ended up in the hospital. Uh, but it also could, of course, be a deliberate tactic. We know that Hamas are not beyond sacrificing their own people for their own political ends. Uh, it could be a deliberate attack on their own people as well. Uh, what's your theory? What are you hearing right now? Okay, so first of all, just a little, uh, I don't know if a correction, but just to put things, I mean, uh, to make things clear, uh, the most horrific thing till now is what has happened uh, like 12, 13 days ago on Saturday in the south of Israel, like 1,400 people. And and so I think that this is the most horrific thing uh, by far. I don't think that in our modern history, believe me, I mean, we have seen so many tragic things. And you mentioned I was a journalist before. Believe me, I have seen as a journalist, I covered wars, I covered many wars also. Uh, I've never, never, never heard stories. I came back yesterday uh, from the south, Kfaraza on the south, and you hear, I mean, you see, I mean, you see still the uniform of the soldier that was beheaded. By the way, you still have corpse, corpse of terrorists by tens, by tens on the ground to show you, I mean, the amount of terrorists that entered our, I mean, our country, our state, uh, our houses, and the, I'm not even talking about the civilians also that participated in this horrific uh, event, in this, in this massacre, because you see in the houses I visited myself yesterday, when you see nothing in the houses, because even the, even not only, I mean, they, they slaughtered, not only they slaughtered, they burned the little children or they killed their parents in front of them or vice versa. I mean, because it is so barbaric, even their toys were taken back to Gaza. This is the, uh, 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 this is what we're talking about. And so this has to be clear. Now, concerning what has happened yesterday, this is also is very clear. One of the reasons Israel waited, I mean, to react, to respond, although social media already was, 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 was in a turmoil, and of course Israel was responsible, but Israel checked, and we responded only after checking. I don't believe, I don't believe that an American president, I mean, the, uh, uh, I think the, the, the leading of our civilized world would go and say, and I quote, I mean, about when he landed in Israel, he said that this is the responsibility of the other team, but I do agree totally with you that, I mean, we, we're dealing now with, with, with people, with, I don't even, people, when I say people, with, with barbarians, with terrorists, who really don't really care about their own civilians. And this is why when I hear a lot about the questions of Israel, humanitarian, are you taking care of, aren't you worried about civilians in Gaza? You have to understand, they, they were, by the way, elected, Hamas was elected by the Gazawi people, they don't really care about their own population. And when we say for years, when we tell the world for years, I mean, that in our country, I come from a country where missiles protect children, their uh, children protect their missiles. And the mistake, that the mistake, I mean, the, 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 what has happened yesterday, this launching a, a, a rocket a missile on their own people, believe me, I mean, they sleep very well at night. For them, it's nothing. Nothing has happened. This is what we're dealing with. They slaughter my children. And they kill also theirs. I couldn't agree with you more, uh, Bias, and you're quite right to pick me up. What happened in the north, uh, uh, rather in the south, uh, 10 days ago uh, was uh, beyond horrific. Uh, absolutely grotesque war crimes, the most awful saga, beheading of babies, people being executed on their doorsteps, uh, kids being mown down in a hail of bullets who are enjoying a pop concert. You're quite right. Uh, indiscriminate rape as well. So. Uh, that uh, was uh, absolutely appalling, grotesque and obscene. Uh, but to, to go back to this hospital bombing uh, or missile attack last night, uh, if you think about it, it's important not to speculate too much, uh, but on the eve 
of President Biden's arrival to try and broker some kind of uh, peace, not a peace deal, but some kind of deal uh, to uh, exercise some kind of restraint in what happens in Palestine. Uh, you couldn't have chosen a better moment to destabilise those talks, could you? Yeah. So uh, you can't help speculating that maybe, just maybe, some of these terrorist lunatics, these psychopaths, uh, did that deliberately on their own people. And what I'm talking about here uh, is potentially not Hamas, uh, but an even worse group, uh, the uh, Islamic Jihad. Uh, it, it is possible that uh, they chose this moment to destabilise President Biden's arrival, is it not? Look, I can speak of things where I'm certain. I'm certain, I mean, that this uh, uh, missile rocket was launched by, uh, uh, by, from Gaza. This is 100%. I mean, we are, it's clear, and even the American president as understood and said it by himself, he said it himself. This were clear, this is 100%. Second thing that is clear is that those barbarians really don't care about their own civilians. Again, this is, a, this is certain. The only thing that annoys me a lot is yesterday when I was in the South, when I was in the South, and there was a lot of foreign media were coming here. What they were putting, while I was interviewed by, by a lot of media from all over the world, what they were interviewing me, and, and, and there was even this uh, British journalist who was very worried about, and he was asking me, and he was showing me this uh, uh, demolished, uh, 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 scene. It was the what well, was the police station in Zdeor that was demolished because there's terrorists over, over there, and the Israeli uh, forces had to demolish in order to 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 kill those terrorists inside. It was a bit difficult uh, um, in, in doing it uh, differently. And and he, he wanted and he asked me, is this how Gaza is going to look afterwards? And I answered him, no. This is how terrorism is going to look after after the war we're having now against uh, Gaza, because otherwise, not only Israeli population will not agree, it's history that will not forgive us. So again, we're dealing with people, and this is why this war is so cruel, because you're dealing here with people who don't really care, who don't really care about human life. For you, for me, for the people who are watching us right now. Life is sacred. You will do anything in order to save a life. You even treat in hospital your enemy. This is Israel, by the way. Come to our hospitals and you find us treating our enemies. On the other side, you're dealing with people who don't care about the lives of their own family. And this is why it's tough and rough. But you're asking about ceasefire. You're asking about peace. You mentioned the word. Peace, of course, uh, maybe my answer will be a bit descriptive. Something that happened Saturday, two weeks, almost two weeks ago, I was watching the event with my son. My son is nine, nine, a bit more. And it brought me 50 years ago. I was nine then. It was 7th of October. It was the 6th of October. It was this time, holiday Simchat Torah. Then it was Kippur Day. We're surprised then and, 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 and uh, in 1973 and in 2023. But there was one big difference while you're talking about peace and ceasefire. 50 years ago, we were surprised and we had a rough, tough, tragic war with Egypt. We won, but the price was very heavy. 2,665 soldiers. Yet, yet, four years after, President of Egypt landed in Israel and we made peace. Well, let's, we hope, made let's peace. hope for that Boris. I've got to no, ask No, 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 but here... I know, I, I get that, I get that. Group. I can't let here you just talk constantly, Boris. I've got to ask a question here and there. Yeah. That's the way it goes. You know, you're a journalist. 
What will happen? Uh, we expected, uh, we were told there was going to be an invasion, land, sea and air, and it was imminent. There are hundreds of thousands of uh, Israeli troops gathered on the border of Gaza. Uh, that seems to have been delayed. We're assuming it's because of uh, President Biden being in the territory. Uh, and there is now talk that maybe this invasion won't happen at all uh, and that there may be some other tactic employed by Israel uh, to exact revenge and to uh, get Hamas. Uh, what is your view? I mean, uh, w w will Israel invade Gaza or will it not? Look, I'm not a military, as you said yourself. I'm a member of parliament. The only thing I know, it started with this horrific event that we mentioned before and that we'll never forget. It will be a bleeding scar, a bleeding scar for our nation. Yet I know it will end. It will end by destroying Hamas. Nothing less is acceptable. What will happen in the middle, we'll have to wait and see. There will be developments. There might be surprises. There might be uh, uh, things that we don't even think of right now. But we know how it will end. It, will, it cannot finish without destroying Hamas. And what we had yesterday, we cannot accept tomorrow. Meaning Israel leaving or containing a terrorist entity, it means that Israel cannot, cannot accept things that we accepted uh, yesterday. So again... We know it started, we know it will end. What happens in the middle, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, what about the Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu? Uh, he's catching a lot of flack uh, for what appears to be an intelligence failure. Uh, Israel caught napping uh, by the Hamas invasion. Uh, usually we expect uh, Israel uh, to be on the top of its game uh, as a fantastic intelligence service, arguably the best in the world. Uh, what went wrong there? And uh, do you think the Prime Minister may have to resign because of it? Look, it is no time for talking about, I mean, uh, uh, conclusions, questions and conclusions. But it is obvious, it is obvious that there were failures, important failures uh, in action and also in conception, in action, of course, and also in, in the thought. Yet, yet, for the time being, as we were at war, all the generals in question, or the chief of the army, and the ministry of defense, and the prime minister are the best ones we have, and they're going to win the war, and they're going to win it big. Afterwards, questions will be asked, commissions, uh, people will pay, people will have to leave. This is obvious. I think that they're aware of that. Israelis are aware of that. I'm not mentioning which one and what title, because for the time being, we're backing them. And for the time being, they are the strongest ones. And for the time being, they are the ones who will destroy Hamas. With, of course, our amazing soldiers. And, of course, also the amazing and very strong population that you have in Israel. Yesterday, I was in the South. And I must say, I mean, these are, I mean, <laughs> this is our nation. Very, very brave people. In just under an hour's time, we will be going live to Westminster for Prime Minister's questions. It will be the first PMQs with Rishi Sunak and Sakir Starmer going head-to-head -head since their respective party conferences. I'm delighted to be joined by former Tory MP and Talk TV presenter Nick Dubois. Hi, Nick. Hello. Did you go to uh, Manchester for the Tory conference? No, absolutely not. I'm, I'm, uh, well avoided. I, I absolutely, <laughs> I have never liked conferences. I really haven't. Even when I was a young, enthusiastic activist, I loathe them. You're not meant to say this. It will rule out any further advancement in the party. They are awful. I'd never go if I can avoid it. Uh, and I, I think by all accounts, it wasn't what you might call a triumph. I don't think it was as bad as some people no. made out. But uh, anyway, uh, the two party leaders uh, will face each other 
across the uh, dispatch box mm. today uh, in the Commons for PMQs. Uh, frankly, hardly worth talking about today because I imagine the entire uh, event will be dominated by uh, what's happening in the Middle East. Yes, it would. I, I mean, Keir Starmer and Rishi Sunak are saying the same things. So they will make statement-like interventions on it. There will be no real disagreement. I think the thing, if you are a political anorak like I am, you'll be watching to see how the consensus survives, for example, in the backbenches and the Labour backbenches. So although we now have a very mixed picture emerging about what happened with that awful attack uh, on uh, on the hospital, be it an attack or be it a missile that went errant, which mm. we, we just honestly don't know in yeah. the fog of this yeah. war, you might see some breakdown of the consensus there. But it would have been different. Um, had it obviously not been for what's going on in Israel. Well, we'll talk about what would have happened if it wasn't for this in just a, a little while. Uh, now, the other day in um, Parliament, in the Commons, uh, Richard Bergen, the Labour MP, mm. got up and started going on about Israel's war crimes and mm -hmm. the poor Palestinians without ever once mentioning what Hamas mm. did to the Israelis, uh, which is uh, typical of uh, some uh, sort of elements of the... Labour Party, I mean, the Corbynistas. Uh, mm -hmm. He got, actually, even his own uh, fellow backbench Labour MPs were hissing and booing him. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was way out of line what he said. However, that problem still remains for Sakia Starmer, doesn't it? That uh, the Corbynistas are still there. He is, to his credit, four square behind Israel. Mm -hmm. uh, I said earlier to John Rentall that I thought both party leaders... Uh, acted, uh, you know, with distinction the other day. They distinguished themselves with uh, very uh, reserved speeches, both taking the same line. And it's good for Keir Starmer to take the pro-Israeli line. Mm. However, there are elements in his party uh, that are already uh, rising, shall we say. They're not happy with this, are they? No. And, and look, there is an element definitely in the Labour Party that can only see things through the lens of Pal uh, Palestinians, cause for Palestinians, good, anything Israeli, bad. And in many ways, that's the huge, huge challenge of the problem, is there are people who divide, they're on one... In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewellery, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Side, regardless of what atrocities are carried out, and that's never going to end well. Uh, when you see it in the Labour Party, what you're actually got, and this is why I said look at the Labour Party backbenchers, if you're going to see more fractious uh, splitting from the consensus that's that's coming. And, and do you know, I don't know if the release of this uh, video from uh, this information from the Israeli Defence Force will tone it down, where it's, it's looking like uh, it was a Hamas bomb or a Hamas-associated uh, missile that has uh, gone into the hospital, causing those uh, awful deaths at the hospital in Gaza. Whether that will tone it down, but I think it, 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 you're still going to get a number of MPs saying, this is disproportionate, wicked Israel, how awful it is. People have been so quick to make judgments without looking at the facts or waiting for evidence. And I think the Labour Party MPs, who are so pro-Palestinian, they cannot make any judgment based on humanitarian or compassion mm. and, and, and even condemn what happened and what started this in the first place. Well, if Bergen is any indication, I mean, Starmer could have some problems here. As I say, him and the cabinet are all very impressive for Foursquare behind Israel, and well, they should be. Uh, but there are people in the party we're going to make Bergen-type noises. And uh, surely the Tories uh, can uh, profit from this, can't they? Uh, we'll make uh, Labour look on the, you know, as if it's not reading the room properly. Now, let me give you the alternative scenario. Those voices, which are relatively uh, small voices, led by Corbyn, effectively, mm -hmm. is what you're talking about, uh, they will make those noises and Keir Starmer will look stronger for it by yeah, facing up to them. Point. Yeah, good point. And I, I think the Tories will just stay well out of it. I'm sure Starmer's not thinking in these terms. No, uh, even no, he's not that cynical. But, yeah. but this stance he's taking could be very good for him electorally, couldn't it? Well, it, it could it be. Distances well, it could be. But this is, you see, if you return in a way to the issue, the, the, the charge is going to be made. We're gonna, we, this was so inevitable that um, many of the Western countries, uh, broadly speaking, stand behind Israel from day one. Then you start to get the um, uh, countermeasures by Israel going into Gaza, whatever they may be, putting aside even what happened, this terrible incident at the, the, the hospital, whatever happens, how will the consensus hold more and more? Look at the EU, absolutely divided over it. You've got von der Leyen basically sticking alongside Karma and um, Starmer and Sunak and Biden, quite robust on the Israeli right to defend itself. You've got Claude Michel, the president of the Council of Europe. You know they have loads of presidents in, in the EU, as you know. <laughs> they're, they're talking a completely different tone uh, to, to what's happening there. They are ut utterly divided in the EU, and that consensus could fracture the longer this goes on, when in fact the prize needs to be get peace. Deal with Hamas and go for peace. Yes, in the EU, it's uh, not the quality of the presidents that counts, it's the it's, quantity. It's the quantity. There are thousands of them. And by the way, I'm going off piste here a little bit, uh, but uh, the United Nations seems to be four square behind Palestine on this one, doesn't it? I, Unbelievable. I mean, we hear uh, all the time from the United Nations uh, 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 jumping the gun on issues. I, I honestly think there is a completely legit legitimate debate. 
what is the point of the United Get Nations? Get rid of it. You know, if you want another humanitarian aid agency, well, that's what they do. But the United Nations was not founded just on humanitarian aid. It was meant to be a, a, a to stop conflict and to resolve conflict. It's useless. Uh, it, it certainly is. And Antonio um, Guterres, the... Uh, uh, the Secretary General of the uh, UN. I mean, his greatest con contribution to the global narrative is let's not call it global warming, let's call it global boiling. Nothing yeah. is boiling because of climate change. That's his no, idea. No, but it is because of conflict, and yeah. that's where they should focus their efforts. Well, exactly, and they, they, he's just obsessed with climate change. It's the only thing he talks about. You're quite right. I've been calling for that. For Not that anybody cares what I think, but uh, I think get, get, get rid of the United Nations right now. Uh, let's come back to Westminster. Uh, the Peter Bone affair is quite extraordinary. Came from nowhere. Everyone, I think, pretty shocked by it. So this veteran Brexiteer MP, a regular figure on television, uh, speaking out on issues of the right, but particularly leaving the EU, uh, suddenly uh, is found guilty uh, by the parliamentary watchdog of six alleged offences, as five of them bullying and one of them uh, sexual. He's accused, he denies all of these charges, by the way, but he's accused of exposing himself to a junior member of his staff. So uh, he denies this. So rather than just focusing on him, he does now become, I believe, the 57th uh, male MP to be investigated for sexual yeah. impropriety. We're, 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 uh, what's going wrong well, it, it's at really, this place I, you used to work at, yeah, Nick? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and actually, if you look at 57 out of 650 MPs, it's disproportionate. A, it really is uh, high. Now, there is power involved or the perception of power. I actually remind people backbench MPs have absolutely no power. A local councillor sitting in their local cabinet making decisions has more power. <laughs> but we have influence and, and the idea of power pervades. I'm sure that comes into it. And I go back to this point is that the great thing about our democracy, Kevin, is pretty much anyone who puts themselves forward has a chance of being elected, right? You could be an ex-member of parliament, but... You may, Nobody wants but, that. Nobody but, wants that. But the point being is, you've got people who go in, they get elected, they then have staff to be responsible for, they have management issues to deal with, um, as well as their duties as a parliamentarian. And the truth is that we will elect people from all sorts of different walks of life and backgrounds. Many of them have done little more than run a bath, let alone run an office. <laughs> and you, are, you put them into these environments where suddenly they are close to, this is, um, this is a bad analogy, but close to God. They're seen as the master of all things in the parliament that is their House of Commons. Quite literally, if you are a member of House Commons, it is your House of Commons whilst you're there. That's how it's seen. Um, and, and, and that power goes to the head and it creates bizarre behaviour. I've read the allegations against Peter, and, and they are actually, by the way, a form of appeal, but I won't go into the technicality, which he, he lost hands down on every one. Uh, and I think he will be um, vote. the Parliament will vote to enforce the six-week ban from Parliament. That means a recall election, potentially. And I think if there is a recall election, he is very popular locally, He'll, he'll lose his seat if he stood or uh, or um, or Labour will win it if he doesn't. Well, I think Labour will win it whether he stands or not. Do you know Peter Bone? Yes, yes. Do you I think do. he will stand as an independent if uh, it goes to No, I really election? don't. I don't think anyone 
uh, would stand after those allegations have been upheld by the MPs in the House. So if he can convince the House of Commons he is innocent, which is what his job is effectively now, and they vote not to enforce the six weeks, it's kind of end of. Well, uh, he denies these charges, yeah. uh, and whether or not they are true, the uh, parliamentary watchdog says they are, uh, he must be devastated. Uh, he, he will be devastated. His life has been Parliament. He was yes, elected exactly. first in 2001, I believe. And the, the, the qualities of Peter that I would remind people about, and to answer your question in this context, is he was actually a committed parliamentarian in the sense that he never let his own government get away from things. He was as much oh, yes. a pain in the neck to his own government yes, he as he was to the opposition. And parliament benefits from people like that. So uh, for him then, after all these years, and I think these first arose in 2017, these allegations, mm -hmm. um, I, I am genuinely shocked. I think everybody know, is. Uh, that, 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 that this man has done this to himself if, as it turns out, um, uh, which he denies, but if the House of Commons vote him out and they back the report, he, he, he's gone. So a lot of people talk about, uh, you know, as you say, the disproportionate number of male MPs who get uh, accused of sexually inappropriate mm. behaviour, mm. of bullying. Uh, and of course, they always say, oh, well, it's all these bars in the, in the commons around part, you know, the Westminster estate, you know, they can all, they all get drunk every day. Well, so I, I think, you know, so we've got to stop them drinking. I think it's ridiculous. I yeah. mean, you know, they're grown ups. They'll find someone to drink, uh, somewhere yeah. to drink very, very close. I think my theory of what the problem is, and you must tell me what you say because you know much more about it than I do, uh, is this is about an abuse of power that yes. MPs uh, do become, I mean, even the backbenchers. Intoxicated. They're, they're, they're the stars of the show there, and they have staffs who look up to them. They are their superstars, mm. and some male MPs clearly abuse that. Yeah, and you've got to feel for the victims in these circumstances, and let me kind of briefly explain why. The people who come to work for you in Parliament are generally young people. I, I mean, that's a bit of a generalisation, but not much. I used to be one of those, but it was a long time ago. And they are very enthusiastic. This is their dream. They come into Parliament and they're working for an MP in, you know, the mother of all parliaments. Yes. It's an amazing thing. And when this happens, when an MP shows this sort of behaviour, the bullying, the intimidation and the, um, um, and the uh, sexual intimidation uh, that, 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 that uh, has happened in some cases and sexual assault in others, um, serious assault, rape even, uh, for which an MP went to jail, I think. Um, so basically, when that happens, uh, this is shattering. So they will live with the consequences for a long time. Mm -hmm. The MPs, the pattern of behaviour is we have a system that elects them and make them answerable only to their electorate put them into an environment where they do they are absolutely the kingpin it is inevitable that some i'm afraid it goes to the head of people who are ill equipped um, uh, to deal with it and they come out and behave like this in quite shocking manners. Absolutely. Gear change. Now, let's go back to uh, Tel Aviv, that press conference earlier between uh, President Biden and Prime Minister Netanyahu. Uh, Biden, I mean, old guy, to say the least. Mm. Uh, he, he's got cue cards. Mm. Uh, at one point, so I'm going to tell you a story. Oh, it'll take too long. I'll tell you later. I mean... 
you know, I know he's got some very uh, talented and able people around him, but my God, you look at that guy and you think, the world's fate in his hands? Really? Well, you know, there's many times a lot of people would say, gosh, the leader of the free world, he's got memory problems, which that, I think That's nicely people, put. Uh, uh, to put the point. <laughs> and he's frail. I'm less worried about his age. I'm worried about his that's mental his, capacity. It's still cognitive ability. At yeah. this time, this is the most dangerous I can think of for the world, even since, you, you, you know, even Ukraine in some senses, as horrors as that was... This has the ability to explode to a level that can get rapidly out of control. We've already seen what's happened in just eight days since that horrific attack by Hamas. We're now seeing the potential for escalation. Uh, I, 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 I admire America in the sense that they want to try and fight. I think they're working behind the scenes to try well, and open much. doors they've really calm, hard. calm things down already. But the figurehead, he, he worries me. <laughs> in those negotiations... He's worrying me. You know, I put a lot more faith in Secretary Blinken, who I've got no political candle for at all, who's been working behind the background to try and get things done. Well, at least Blinken's got his marbles. The president has not got his marbles, and uh, that is extremely it, worrying. It was by worrying. The, it was by like a way, puppet, in a way, right. reading his script. Yeah, he's, he's a stubborn old guy yeah. as well. Uh, yeah. You know, the idea that he's just some old guy who does exactly what he's told, that's not true. Mm. Uh, he uh, he calls the shots, and that's what's worrying. Uh, right, moving on. So we are, Nick. Uh, UK and US spy chiefs have warned of recent events in the Middle East, uh, raising domestic terror threats uh, from lone actors, uh, Iran, or even other militant uh, groups. Indeed, following the recent terror attack in Belgium, uh, Wembley have decided to ramp up security ahead of... or oh, they did decide to ramp up security ahead of the Euros qualifier match with Italy. I'm now joined by security expert Will Geddes. Uh, Will, uh, what are the security implications of the Israel-Hamas conflict for the UK? Uh, will there, in your view, be an increase in domestic terrorism? Well, it's difficult to say at the moment, Kevin. We've seen sporadic incidents happening across the world since the call to... Uh, um, uh, to arms, if you like, by Hamas to undertake and perpetrate attacks elsewhere in the world, obviously in the name of Hamas. But I think in terms of uh, what we need to keep our eyes very firmly fixed on is where the threat level, the national threat level is and where and if it actually increases, because that will be based off, obviously, information and intelligence that the security services will have garnished uh, to then notify us that we need to be slightly more alert. Now, over in Brussels, uh, that shooting of two football fans uh, shot to death on their way to a match. Uh, the perpetrator was a lone wolf. I mean, the problem with what's happening in the Middle East, with what Hamas did, uh, we're hearing about other terrorist groups in Gaza as well, including uh, these complete lunatics, uh, Islamic Jihad. The problem with the uh, events that they're responsible for, is it... Uh, has a knock-on effect and it inspires lone wolves to say, I want a bit of this action, I'm going out to fight for the cause. Hard to keep taps, uh, tabs on those kind of lone wolf operators, isn't it? Yeah, they are difficult. I mean, certainly in terms of the join-up between various terrorist groups, this is the biggest concern right now. Um, we saw in the wake of Hamas's barbaric attack, obviously, on Israel, we saw al-Qaeda coming out in support of Hamas. Uh, we also know about Hamas's connections with Hezbollah in Lebanon, 
And we also know about Hamas's connections to Islamic State. So we're, we're seeing a greater blanket of rather than disenchanted and uh, separated terrorist groups acting under their own volition, we're seeing potentially a unification of some of these terrorist groups. Now, as you rightly say, Kevin, you know, we've seen a number of attacks over the last few years of individuals who've acted in, in, in isolation. And these are individuals that have been radicalized. These are individuals that are following that agenda and feel that they can speak out or act out on that agenda, uh, which falls within the parameters of Islamic extremism. Now, one thing that is in commonality with all these groups is they do follow the same doctrines. They want world domination. They want to take back countries and cities and locations and environments that they believe is belonging to them. And as a direct result of that, there are those individuals that will work in isolation. And, and we know this going back to Al-Qaeda's days, that they found that they were much more successful because of the sophistication of the intelligence agencies to be able to intercept their communications, detect when you had a cell operating together, uh, that it was easier to potentially cascade it down to individuals, radicalizing them through various propaganda that could be you know, propagated on social media. Uh, Will, uh, with your knowledge, what will Britain be doing right now in terms of security? Because clearly uh, the threat of terrorist attacks uh, all over the world uh, is pretty extreme right now. Uh, and uh, of course, Britain uh, is a traditional target for terrorist attacks. What will we be doing as a nation to try and keep the people of this country safe right now? Well, the, the, the barometer, Kev, right now is going to be in, on, obviously, the, the protests by pro-Palestinian groups. Now, the, the, the biggest concern, and, and again, it's about uncoupling Palestine from Hamas. And this is very, very important, not only in terms of the perception that Hamas and Palestine are not clubbed together. Hamas are a totally separate entity. You know, they carry out... Uh, violent acts against the Palestinian people as much as they carry them out against the Israel nation and Israelis. Uh, what we've got to look at here is Palestine and those that are pro-Palestine distancing themselves as much as they possibly can from Hamas because, uh, again, it serves no benefit to them in terms of their optics, in terms of their plight, in terms of the, the wider general perception of what Palestine is trying to sort of push forward and, and fight for. Them moving in, in tandem with Hamas and certainly many of the protests and you know, demonstrations recently, I think have worked very, very negatively against what their agenda is. And uh, we're hearing that MI5 is already monitoring uh, the situation for increased risks and radicalization in the UK. Uh, what will MI5 be up to then? What, what will they be doing in these uh, turbulent times? Well, MI5, our domestic security services, will be working with GCHQ, as they always do. And that will be looking at much of the traffic, much of the postings that are going on social media, communications between individuals that they already have on their radar, and, and looking at any kind of activities, actions, potential planning, but at the same time also working with counterterrorism police, who will be working inevitably with some of the key locations here and across the United Kingdom to determining whether there's any sort of hostile reconnaissance that may be at a late stage in planning, for example, in a preemption before an attack. Uh, but they'll be looking at any sort of communications which are trying to push 
things through. But at the moment, as we all know, the you know the communications certainly on this whole Israeli-Palestine issue uh, are very very heated and very volatile right now. So the hard job that GCHQ and MI5 have right now is filtering between those that are literally voicing their opinion to those that may have malicious intent. Uh, in what state of danger are we uh, here in Britain and around the world? Because uh, I can't remember uh, a moment when uh, the international uh, community was more tense. I can't remember a moment when uh, events unfolding in the Middle East were worse than this. Uh, we are in a precarious state, are we not? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think even in our sector, we are all feeling very anxious about what's going on right now. And it is going to be these, these key steps of ensuring, as your guest was saying, about defogging some of the information that is getting back from the conflict area. Uh, ultimately, there's always going to be misinformation and disinformation. And it's a question of making sure that the messages certainly being reported by the mainstream media and by important news agencies like Talk TV is getting a clear and impartial message across without there being any kind of emotive drive behind it. The, the, the challenge is, is people's emotions are running incredibly high right now. And the volatility that we're seeing, obviously, in Israel and in Palestine and with Hamas and with these, as you rightly say, Kev, these isolated incidents of attacks taking place. We've we've seen tourists being killed in Egypt in the last week. We There's been notification, as I, I think you reported on your bulletin, of uh, some tourists being killed in Uganda by the Allied Defence Force who are aligned to Islamic State. So it's whether this call to arms is coincidental or whether it is actually driving certain individuals out there to believe that now is their time to strike. Uh, we'll get a security expert. Uh, many thanks. Always a pleasure. Uh, Nick, just before you go, uh, Rishi Sunak, we're hearing, is planning to visit uh, the region, the Middle East, Israel, fairly soon. In terms of security back here and in terms of potential terrorist attacks, uh, that'll uh, rack up the tension even more, won't I, it? I think the fact is Britain has been on the front foot on this. Uh, some would say not necessarily a good thing in the sense that they've been very robust in defending Israel's right to defend itself. A little later, they're now saying, be proportionate, be responsible. That Whether he goes or not now, I don't think the risk level is going to change. I think the risk level is high. Yes. Uh, and it's going to... And, and what Will was actually saying there is trying to get through, actually, the fog of all the voices out there at the moment. Welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk TV. Now, the highly anticipated Disney Plus series, Colleen Rooney, The Real Wagatha Story, is out today. The series follows wag Colleen Rooney's spat with former bestie Rebecca Vardy, who was leaking Rooney's private Instagram stories to the press. Believe it or not, it's the uh, drama that captivated the nation and resulted in the most high-profile defamation case in UK history. I'm now joined by entertainment journalist Ellie Phillips, who is at Euston Station because she's about to host an event in Liverpool about the documentary. Uh, Ellie, why exactly is this programme so highly anticipated? I think it's because we followed the trial so closely and it was just so shocking that people so high profile in the public eye who you think have no worries in the world 
actually had this massive fallout that played out in the public eye. And the fact that then Rebecca Vardy decided she wanted to try and sue Colleen Rooney um, was just, I mean, I thought it was outrageous. And then to see that kind of play out. And also I think what adds to it is the fact that Colleen Rooney is a very normal girl from Liverpool. You know, she grew up working class in Liverpool. She was 16 when she was thrown into the limelight. And so I think it's because we followed her from then and seen her life lived through the public eye. All it took me down, everything with Wayne Rooney, if you think about all the affairs, if you think about moving to America, everything they've endured and gone through, the four children, there's so much that goes on in her life. Um, and to have seen her kind of uh, use her platform in a way that was so unexpected to expose another celebrity for kind of doing the dirty, uh, just seemed fascinating to everyone. I've already seen the first episode, the three episodes, they dropped, they're out now on Disney Plus, they dropped at midnight. Um, and it's so, it's just, it's so good. Like it is so good to watch. And it's interesting because it's in three parts. The first episode um, looks back at her history, where she's from. And that's so interesting to see where she comes from, her morals, her values, her upbringing. The second installment is all about kind of the trap, if you will, how she kind of um, found out that it was Rebecca Vardy and, and got this evidence together. And then the third is the trial. So it's been done brilliantly. It's, really good to watch it's kind of a thriller when you watch it even though you know what's going to happen it's done so well that it's um it's a bit of an addictive watch yeah. and i am literally about to jump on the train to liverpool to host the premiere that's happening there tonight Excellent. um at the everyman cinema so i'm going to be there with Colleen tonight so that you can see it with uh you know celebrities influencers press and of course all their family and friends so colleen's going to be there yes colleen's going to be oh, there with everyone all their family going to be there with her supporting her so it's going to be a really really exciting night in Liverpool she is our OG Scouse bird so we love her she's your superstar yeah um now uh, I must admit I'm kind of at the end of my tether with uh, Wagatha Christie but uh, more is still to come but the one thing as a as an old Fleet Street hack I will concede it's produced some brilliant headlines uh there's one on the front of the sun today and one on the front of the mail and you'll have to explain this Ellie Colleen used Wayne's secret vasectomy in Wagatha battle with Rebecca Vardy. What's that all about? So it's about the fact that she leaked stories that were and weren't true. And in, in terms of the entrapment that she did to try and catch Rebecca Vardy out, she planted these fake stories on her Instagram. And it was those fake stories that then fed to the sun that um, Rebecca, that, that, that Colleen used to prove that it only came from one account by blocking every other account from seeing them on her Instagram stories. The only account that could view them was Rebecca Vardy. This is on Colleen's private Instagram account where there are a couple of hundred people, close friends and family that she knows. And that's how she, she kind of tricked Rebecca Vardy into revealing what she was doing because these were blatantly fake stories. Only this one account had seen them. And then suddenly, within days, they appeared in the sun. And so the, the, it, it proved there was only one route that they could have come. And so she did that in a way that she planted multiple fake stories. There were a lot that she did. Only certain ones made it. But there were enough for her to be absolutely sure that that's what was happening and that's um, who did it. And uh, I actually spoke to her with Colleen yesterday and at the preview screening, which was in London. And she said, you know, I didn't do an interview about this. I wanted to do a, a full documentary because I didn't want to have to try and condense what had happened to me in three minutes when there was so much. I mean, this for her goes back to 2017 when it first started and the first story started getting leaked. So it's been a long process for her. And it, it really, you know, made her feel a lot of paranoia. This is someone with a fairly small 
circle of very, very close and loyal friends who she's had since she was like 16 years old um, from Liverpool who do not support the son. And so there was a lot for her to deal with throughout this that I think people haven't really understood. And this shows it in a really, really interesting way. I think one of the things uh, that uh, she's been talking about in this documentary is the strains on her marriage uh, inflicted by Wayne's behaviour. Uh, one night he, he went out on the lash, uh, met some girls in a bar and ended up with one of them. Uh, and even though he was three times over the booze limit, uh, he offered to drive her home in her car. Uh, apparently he gives an interview uh, saying uh, saying uh, that uh, nothing happened, but he admits that wasn't a very good look. And uh, to which, yeah. she, and at one point, uh, Colleen said, "I just can't carry on like this." Why has yeah, she stuck? Why has she stuck with Wayne, given uh, some of the uh, marital indiscretions he's yeah. been responsible? Uh, once sleeping with a forty-eight-year-old uh, granny prostitute. Uh, why has she stuck um, with him? I know you're going to wait for your train. Go on. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's all right. It's all right. You've got five first minutes. Of is, first of all, is that they met very young, met when he was 16. They've never had any other partners, any other relationships. So I think they made mistakes early. So you, the, the things that you mentioned there, some of them were when he was very, very young, she was very, very young. They hadn't dated other people. And so well, when he went like, with a 48 year old prostitute, he was very, very young. Very, very young at that point. And well, I that's think all right. Decided, as long as he was young. I'm not saying it's okay, but it's I'm just saying okay. they were very, very young. They were learning from those indiscretions. But the more recent ones, I think she genuinely was, I think she, for her, it was family. It was that my children, I want to keep a yeah, united, enough. you know, family for my four kids. I want to keep them together. I want to try and make this work. He admitted to what he'd done in his own words, his indiscretions, um, and admitted how stupid he was, how much he almost threw away everything that he loves and has. Um, and I genuinely think it's for the family. She's very family orientated. You've got to remember this woman does not need yeah, the money. Not, she's got I, money I, in I her own right. Uh, Ellie, you've got to catch your train, but I've got to ask you one last question. After this series, okay. can you promise me that we won't hear of Wagatha Christie ever again? No. I sorry, know you could. I know you wouldn't coming. be able to. <laughs>now to matters more serious. A meeting has been taking place in Westminster today to uh, examine the issues around a proposed ban uh, of XL bully dogs. In recent months, we've seen a spate of XL bully attacks which have led to the deaths of a number of people across the country. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak announced the ban after the death of 52-year-old Ian Price, who was attacked by two suspected XL bullies in Staffordshire. Someone uh, who was at the meeting this morning was animal behaviourist Hannah Malloy. Uh, welcome, Hannah. Uh, what are the issues around this ban? I mean, when is it likely to happen? Well, this is the thing. It's been promised before Christmas and the government have made a bit of a rod for their own back now because there is a lot of talk about how do we actually effectively implement it. And so today, the EFRA Select Committee met to listen to some oral evidence from some more experts to say, what does this look like? How would we actually effectively ban this dog? How is that going to play out? OK, so one of my problems, as I understand it, I mean, I... Trust me, like so many issues, I know nothing about it. But uh, as I understand it, the ban would be on any new uh, XL bully dogs, dogs coming to this country, I don't know, being born, whatever. So nobody would be able to 
have a XL Bully Dog as a pet after the ban. But people who've already got them would be allowed to keep them. Uh, so, you know, you have male bully dogs, you have female bully dogs, things will happen. Uh, they'll have puppies. So what's the point of the ban if you've got already uh, a population of XL bully dogs in situ in this country? Mm. So the ban is complicated. And actually, as they heard today, it's not an easy thing for them to even do. First of all, you need to define the XL bully, which is not an easy thing yeah, because no, it's a crossbreed yeah. of dog. Uh, secondly, if they were banned, and as it stands, they will still be banned. Okay, so a lot of great evidence was brought today to show that it's not an easy thing for the government to just step in and do because of the impact on rescues, because of the logistics. How do you measure these dogs once they're typed? Are we going to make such a broad type that loads of dogs are included? Is it going to be so narrow that actually we're not going to get to the root of the problem here? Um, and many, 75% of the experts in the room said actually the data is not sufficient to even be banning them in the first place. So complicated. If the dog is banned, then you will need to go for an exemption. So you would need to pay to have your dog's ear tattooed get them neutered. Mm -hmm. The veterinary professional in the room said, do you know, actually, if we estimate there are around 50,000 XL bullies in the UK right now, the vets are not going to be able to keep up with neutering that many massive dogs, you know? They're not little, uh, little pugs that you can pop into a, a small kennel in a vet. These dogs require big kennel space, um, considerably more sedation. So it's, it's a really complicated thing that they're trying to do, but... I'm really happy because today, uh, Neil Hudson promised that there would be much larger measures and that both sides so of government... So who's Neil Hudson again? So he chairs the EFRA Select okay, Committee. Okay, yeah. um, and he Probably is himself... Know, know <laughs> but I don't. <laughs> He's a vet. So it's fantastic to see that he has that level of, of knowledge as well. And the Select Committee were really... Um, really balanced in the questions they asked and thoughtful in the way that they approached the discussion with the experts. And they can see this is not an easy thing to do. Yeah, uh, there was a problem with drugs, mm. uh, you know, during the, uh, the sort of um, rave uh, phase where people, when they were taking ecstasy and things like this. And uh, what the dealers were doing, every time uh, they sort of made a new rave drug illegal. They slightly changed the chemicals, mm. uh, the chemical makeup, and therefore the new drug fell outside the law. Yes. I believe that's the problem with XL bully dogs. Now, we define an XL bully dog by its kind of DNA, change that slightly, and all of a sudden you've got a legal dog. That's the problem, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. And actually, even with DNA, you know, the, the chief vet in the room, um, Dr. Martin, said DNA evidence doesn't work. It doesn't stand up. It's not strong enough to actually convict any dog of being mm. a, a certain breed. And so this is it. If what we're trying to do is improve responsible dog ownership, it needs to be so much wider and affect loads of other dogs who are also creating havoc that don't look like XL bullies. Yeah. Um, I was stunned to hear you say there are 50,000 of them. I didn't realise Estimated, that. yeah. That's, that's an enormous number. And, uh, you know, some of them are causing terrible problems. Death, for God's mm -hmm. sake. Um, same old argument. Uh, you, you know, that argument, uh, there's no such thing as a dangerous dog, just dangerous owners. Mm. I mean, XL bully dogs, they certainly look uh, very dangerous. They, they look scary. Uh, are they dangerous inherently? Is there something in their makeup that makes them vicious uh, and likely to attack? Or is it 
purely because they've got rubbish owners, mm. uh, intact owners who deliberately train them up to be like this, to be vicious uh, and dangerous. What the evidence suggests, hands down, is that breed is not a reliable indicator of behaviour, OK? We cannot say, if you look this way, you will behave this way. And also, aggression is complicated. It can affect lots of different dogs. They can be affected in lots of different ways. It's a functional behaviour dogs need to keep themselves safe. So I think what we're looking at is a, a nation of dogs who are lovingly not getting their basic needs met, um, are being misunderstood, misread, and put in, in really tricky situations. So I want to see responsible dog ownership as a bar raised far higher across the nation. Everybody um, is asked to be more aware of their dog's needs, of its body language and how it communicates, and to have a higher standard of training across the country. I think that is 100% necessary. So no, I don't think XL bullies are inherently dangerous, and I don't think we have the data to suggest that they definitely are. We're just looking at pictures uh, right now that would sort of belie what you would say, <laughs> but, but I do take your point. Of course, the Dangerous uh, Dogs Act mm. uh, was too pervasive, wasn't it? And we ended up kind of outlawing temporarily sort of Staffordshire pit bull, which are nice family dogs usually anyway. Uh, so uh, that is the danger, isn't it, here? Now, from what you've been saying, the veterinary advice to uh, Parliament is, you know, we've got to be very careful here. Are we saying that uh, arguably Rishi's uh, headline hunting declaration, we're going to ban these dogs? Mm. Are, are we edging towards them not being banned because it's just all too complex? Uh, honestly, I hope that is what happens. But, but do you feel that's happening? I don't think the government have enough evidence to, to keep pushing forward with this. However, it is still going ahead currently. Mm -hmm. um, and that's difficult. I think the Select Committee have a very difficult job now of, of weighing up the logistics of actually following through with this, um, of everything that we'd need to change in the country and all of the dogs that would be abandoned, the impact on the vets, the impact on the rescue staff. Because realistically, there are a proportion of these dogs, they're big, heavy dogs. Um, and if you're going to train your dog to be aggressive, um, intentionally, uh, and it's a big dog anyway, yes, of course they can create more damage. Um, and so that does definitely need something doing, but this ban is, is not going to safeguard the public. And yeah. Well, that's the point, isn't it? Uh, what can we do? I mean, I've seen kids in the parks, you know, training these dogs and they're they're an extension of their machismo aren't they mm. an extension of their toughness i'm a tough guy and my dog's even tougher and they train them to be like that yeah uh, i would suggest training a dog to attack unless you're an expert unless it's to be a police dog uh, uh should be made a criminal offense I agree. I think there needs to be a lot more regulation. And here, regulating dog trainers needs to be top of the agenda. Yes. You know, actually saying you need to have a certain level of qualification. Dog training is totally unregulated. Anybody can take a dog and train it and charge people money for that. So I really think now is the time to do that. I think as well, just bearing in mind, one of the stats that came out today was fascinating. And that was that when it comes to dogs who are fighting dogs, actually, those people who want to set up illegal fighting rings, those dogs are still pit bulls. So when it comes to criminal activity with dog fights, those dogs are still pit bulls. XL bullies are very rarely used in that context. But as you say, they are status dogs. So people will use them to say, you know, you want to stay away from me. I've got a big, scary-looking dog, uh, but just so because the dog looks, got spikes on yeah, it. <laughs> it's got no ears anymore, which again is already illegal. And so 
those aren't the dogs that are being used for fighting. They're not fighting dogs. They're status dogs often. The majority of them are beautiful family pets and very sweet. Um, yeah. So, so needless to say, uh, these kids, these uh, people who just want to turn these dogs into fighting machines and take them down the park and start sort of training them, start delving into areas they have no understanding mm. of. They don't know what they're playing with, do they? No, and this is a community issue. This is a responsible dog ownership issue. Um, and this is something that needs a much broader perspective. You know, what I would love to see is community drives that really get into these places um, and funded community initiatives. I've been thinking of running one actually in a couple of the deprived areas and just saying like, let's get in, let's say hello, let's meet people where they're at um, and hang out with them and hang out with their dogs and show them how to handle their dogs well. Most of these young people they love their dog. <laughs> they love dog training. Sure. They just haven't been given the skills to be able to do that safely. So that's what I'd love to see. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.